My guest this week is Joshua Littlejohn, founder of Colorado-based high-grade syrup. And tonight we'll be chatting about Joshua and his high-grade brands. Thanks for joining us, Joshua. How's it going, David? Thank you for having me. So to kick things off, would you mind telling us about yourself and where you're from? What do you love? What things get you excited? Yes, sir. Um, Joshua Littlejohn. I'm one of the founders of high-grade brands. Um, I'm originally from Grand Island, Nebraska, but I grew up here in Denver, Colorado. Um, we started high grade in 2015. It's been a process the whole time. Um, what gets me excited is the business, the good and the bad. I really love the industry. Would you mind sharing with how you found your way into the industry? No different than most, but a little bit uh, unorthodox as far as we did start like like I guess they call it the traditional market. That's where we started. But um, from there, it really was a journey. I started out flipping a sign um, for a dispensary. And then from there, myself and my business partner, we had worked with a trash company. Like, so I was going to all the stores having to pick up all the trash. Um, the trash company had got a like a, an investor to come along. And at that point, they told me, like, yo, listen, you got more aspirations to be a businessman than continue with us. And they gave me $1,500 and like start a business. From there, me and my business partner, we just decided uh, we went to 2014 High Times Cup, saw a guy by the name of Medicated Wings, and he was making THC syrup and um, chicken wings. From there, it just turned us out. Like uh, we had grabbed some of the wings and the syrup. Drank a little bit of the syrup and somebody came along like, hey, yo, can we buy that from y'all? We sold it for $100. We sold it for 100 bucks, And from there, it kind of started our THC syrup journey. I'm still getting my head around the medicated chicken wings. That's that's pretty amazing. And we'll talk about that later because on your website, too, you, you know, I, I've seen the pineapple flavored tacos and all the other things that you've got going on. We'll get into the foodie side of it a little bit later. But there's a bigger story here. And before we jump into you know, high-grade syrup and how that's changed over time. Would you mind schooling us on syrup and talking about Purple Drank and Sears Up and Lean and the cultural and community story that I think only you could share or you could certainly share it better than I can in terms of the evolution of drinking syrup and, and how that made its way into the cannabis space now as your product. Would you mind sharing the, the backstory and the cultural story around lean? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm a, more of an advocate than rather than, than a user. I don't want to throw my business partner under the bus, but he could tell you the culture a little better than I could, but I can definitely explain how we got started as far as high grade to pushing it as a lean alternative. So realistically what lean syrup is, is just promethazine or codeine. And obviously it was heavily used in the hip hop community. If you look at every video, so on and so forth, you can see it. We saw that there was an alternative to that, right? Once cannabis came available, and obviously, like I told you, the backdrop of us discovering the THC syrup as a culture to, to cannabis. So it kind of is like perfect timing, right? We saw the product line already, and then we also saw uh, a market that needed to be serviced within cannabis. So that's how it developed. But the actual purple purple drink and, and the promethazine, that's a culture that comes from the South. So I couldn't tell you exactly how it started and why it started, but it navigated to being urbanistic. For us, it was it was something that, you know, 
obviously we can put our stamp on. Understand the form factor syrup, and and then now you've taken the I guess it's codeine and promethazine, and you shifted that over to cannabis and cannabinoids. Would you mind talking about that a little bit? Was that a healthier alternative to to lean or purple drank? Yeah, that was a process, right? So initially we did not want to consider ourselves THC lean or THC syrup. Um, we were always like a, a enhancer or additive. So our original bottles had syrup enhancers on them. Um, a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Mile High, uh, who's a good friend of myself and Richards, he has sat down with us and was like, if you all don't take over the narrative, somebody else will. And who can push it better than you all? So at that point, I started to understand application. And it was another guy by the name of Steve who gave us the principles of what application meant. And between those two count, uh, consultation, we were able to really, you know, make that transition from a syrup enhancer to saying, okay, this is a lean alternative. And to go along with it, we had to put the packaging behind it. The initial packaging that I'm familiar with really looks like a cough syrup bottle. Correct. You know, I always talk about all the hidden messages and all the insinuation built into packaging. The fact that you created a cannabis-infused syrup but still served it up in the same look as cough syrup. In many ways, you were telling the story of what it, what it was through its packaging. Definitely. I, I know your dosing is, at least in my world, is off the charts. Do you want to talk about some of the dosing? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we have them all the way from 25 milligrams starting to 5,000 milligrams. We, we did a 10,000 milligram run, but obviously the materials take cost so much, but we, our standard packaging is a hundred milligrams to 5,000. It comes with a serving cup. So that's how you're measuring the dose, correct? Yeah. So in the state of Colorado, uh, you had to attach the, we call it the Dixie rule, but you had to attach the measurement to the actual bottle. So a cap was, wasn't considered an effective dosing measurement. So the, I, I would say a measurement, a measuring cup wasn't considered a, an affecting dosing cap to the state. So the actual bottle cap had to be used as the dosing. So um, every, depending on the size of the packaging, lets you know the uh, amount of doses you have in a bottle. And obviously, depending on the milligrams will vary the doses in, in the cap. Right. It's interesting how the laws often conflict with the packaging laws. Correct. Would you tell us about high grade and brand, its ethos, and what the company stands for as you serve a certain community and certain customer base. Would you mind just jumping into the brand and sharing that with us? Yeah, definitely. Um, the brand is realistically faith, prosperity, and lifestyle is what we stand for. And then realistically, who we are as individual people, we just a family company um, all the way through and through from top to bottom. We're very close knit and we keep a tight like a, just a tight operation altogether. How will you manage that as you take that from a family brand to working with other people in other states that might not necessarily have the same North Star as you? How do you think your brand will translate over time? It's what we're developing now, right, mm -hmm. is what what does that look like as we break into to new markets and new things? Um, the future is unknown. We know who we are as a company and individuals, but we understand the industry. 
um, that is so unknown that we don't try to put ourselves too far ahead, if that makes sense. It does, and it makes total sense. I'm always trying to figure this industry out. Man, aren't we all? Absolutely. What I find so intriguing, and now we'll sort of take the listeners through this, High Grade now is offering syrups, but now you're offering maple syrups and you're offering chocolate syrups besides the the medical grade flavored syrup. Could you tell us about that evolution and when you realized, hey, I'm in the syrup business and there are all types of syrups and we need to leverage this in different ways. Would you talk us through that? Yeah, definitely. The chocolate uh, was developed by my children. <laughs> Just be <laughs> no lie, because they make uh, Nestle Quick so much. I said, whoa, there, there clearly is a market. But the um, the other flavors came based upon our demographics. Our entry point to the industry and our messaging was significant enough to bring us to the market, but it was it isn't strong enough to maintain us in the market. Once we realized that, we knew that we had to open up the market. We were going to diversify our, uh, our product portfolio, but I see a lot of companies veer away from their core products and they i i feel they don't dig as deep into the product line so i don't want to make I, and when i say i please don't mistake like we have an effective team and we made a, a decision to look at our market and say okay instead of maybe putting out a line of pre-rolls or concentrates what is how furthermore can we go into our brand and that's where we started to see like the savory lines we broke it down to food beverage and pharma and that's where we were able to start shifting the fact that you looked at what i would call a core competency and say hey we make syrup we can make other types of syrup we can infuse all sorts of things and we can appeal to all different types of people that to me is that's the win everybody's making pre-rolls right yeah, yeah, and it's like you said, it's it's become and no knock to the market, but it, there are cliche entry points at this point to us, and for us, we've been at making syrup almost six years now, so you know, just perfect our lane. Many of the California brands are leveraging celebrities to get their products known and moving. Have you done anything like that? Yeah, definitely. We have some that were successful and some that weren't. The main one that probably was the most successful was working with Sauce Walk and his team. Why I say that is because he directly was a, a promethazine user or a lean sipper. Um, and his effect was crazy. He was able to monetize us on YouTube. For a cannabis brand, you might not think that's not anything, but for us, it was it's a new outlet of revenue because in our industry, the only source of revenue is through the dispensaries, right? Mm -hmm. So unless you're selling merch and all those other things, but we're talking about the core dollar comes from the dispensary. So that was another outlet. So yes, we have been able to utilize the celebrity effect, but it's also had a reverse effect too. We've done things to where posts have been shut down, where we spent money. We've had money tied up in situations, right. working with celebrities. So let's talk about your product. And as your products changed, so is your packaging. You know, in some ways now, when I look at your newer syrups, the chocolate syrup, the maple syrup, they look like, you know, a foodie brand. My question to you is, how has your brand evolved? Has your customer evolved too? Yeah, definitely. Is your 
customer that's buying the medicated syrup, do you think that's the same customer that's buying the maple syrup, for example? Our transition happened through um, understanding like what we discussed before, application, right? That in order to apply something, you have to know the group in which you're trying to apply it to. So we knew that we couldn't take our lean look and apply it to mixology or to a chef. So we had to adjust it. And also that came with the, the flavor profiles. It's like, okay, well, every chef can't cook with, you know, pineapple or strawberries or or even like blueberries or raspberries every time. Like we had to simplify it. So we went with simple vanilla and we did the maple. Um, the maple also came along just from Colorado's market. Most people, when they asked, when we when we told them about syrup, they they either thought one or two things, which is lean, or they think maple syrup. So that kind of was developed through constant conversation. It's interesting to associate different products or different flavors or different form factors with different communities. Do you find that at you know as you've moved through the varying forms of syrup, do you find there are racial stereotypes or do you find that there are preferences from one to another across communities? I'll say yes and no, right? Um, obviously, when we entered into the market, our our goal was to make sure that we created a pathway for our narrative, which was a hip-hop narrative, the urban, urban narrative. Like you said, as we grew the business, I won't say it was so much racial or culturally that we were going after as much as just diversification because like we talked before is that cannabis is so universal just cannabis specifically right that it brings a variety of people together so for our transition you know that's how it makes sense is that that piece of bringing multiple people together is why our brand stands for that i love the fact that you've entered in to the industry in a way that's um, that's so authentic to you, and that now you've you figured out you, you know the application as you said earlier. How do I take what I have and and now broaden it to a to a wider community? And so let's talk about that for a minute. Packaging on the chocolate syrup is dare I say like quintessentially chocolate. It looks like chocolate syrup. You know it. You're familiar with it. Much in the same way that the bottle and the graphics you're using for your maple syrup really looks like exactly what you would think coming from Vermont maple syrup. In the same way, your medicated flavored syrup showed up in what looks like, you know, a cough syrup bottle. You've been able to really continue that, that use of packaging in a way that says what your product is. And a lot of times brands have a hard time creating packaging and branding that clearly states what their product is and what the benefits are and how you use it and so on and so forth. So you've, you guys have done a great job at that. Do you now find yourselves now marketing to a different customer base? Like you said earlier, chefs and foodies and so on and so forth. Yeah, definitely. We're, we're finding ourselves in a whole different, um, demographic and obviously it, it requires uh, a different palette of marketing and um obviously syrups too yeah but yes we yeah. have seen a complete change with, with like once we started making certain switches to our packaging as we discussed before is that um it changed our narrative but that happened to basically paying attention to the competition like my partner's always he's on my ass about you know, always saying focus on what we have going 
but I'm I'm one just to pay attention to the market. Um, so I look at how the competition came in, and I also looked at how other brands are starting to open up a little bit, right? So it was like, okay, if you're going to make a shift, make sure that your shift is 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 significant enough that it always um, a that our brand is always represented, but b it's again application applying to the people we're we're going after. Do you feel like you're selling to a different customer those products, or or you're just selling products and and those people that find the need for either the chocolate, the maple syrup, or however they want to use it? Pineapple syrup on on tacos, which made me really hungry this afternoon when I was looking at the website. <laughs> Are you now marketing it differently than you initially were because it just see it's still syrup, but it seems like a in many ways seems like a different product than what it initially was. Not and and to answer honestly, not yet, right? Um, so I don't want to give away too many of our gems, but we have we take a product through a life cycle. So and this is a free gem. There, you have about 24 months to break a product. So I don't care what product it is, whether you're a great brand, if your brand is already going, it's a, there's a 24-month learning curve of introducing that product to the, to the dispensary, right, and then to the actual customer. So just because we release that product doesn't, you know, you may see it on social media, you may see it in other places, but the actual intake into the industry is a lot more slow. Would you talk to us about that for a little bit in terms of the shelf life and, and some of the other things in developing a product that you need to think about? Yeah. Um, so that's a great question too, which is the shelf stability of the products. And that's something we're working with the state right now on is to push the requirements. And this is something we're trying to push on to the state testing because, you know, a lot of outside, I would say non-cannabis vendors won't bring the product in to give you a full shelf stability analysis. And a lot of these state testing don't have the requirements to give you a full shelf panel. They can't do the accelerated environments, so on and so forth. They can't even tell you the particle size. So there's kind of a, there's a window on both sides, right? We're doing as much as we can internally to, to get as much in independent information, but it's still, you know, we need as much support from the state to make sure that we're spot on with a lot of the answers because the equipment and cost of the equipment to independently run these tests is just so significant that it's, it's, it's not feasible at the current moment. Again, because the industry, we're forced to do this, that you're working within one state. So it's not like you can buy the machinery and use it for multi-states testing. You're just you're spending that money and you're, you're stuck in this case in Colorado with that machine or whatever that machinery is. Correct. What about the shelf life of the THC and the cannabinoids? Did those lose potency over time as well? Yeah, anything degrades over time. And so that's something we're working with a chemical analyst on to uh, figure out what is our degradation in, in our bottles and the environment. So there's a lot of questions to be had there. But for our particular product, we did run a shelf stability test. Um, I was able to get a couple of shelf stability tests. Right now, we're pushing about 12 months. I'm trying to extend it to 18 internally. But Obviously, there, there's a few few things that go into that, but we try to keep our products as natural as possible. So our shelf stability is roughly about 12 months. 
Right now, there's lots of brands in the industry that are focused on on social equity, like Justice Joints, 40 Tons, uh, The Lost Prisoner Project. What are your thoughts on these types of brands and, and their place in the industry? Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Um, yeah, uh, I will say we've taken a different pathway, but I fully support any entry point in for the underdog. So do I. I know you're in Colorado. Is that where high grade is currently sold? Are there other states that you're currently in? Yes, high grade is mainly is currently sold in Colorado. We have some opportunities abroad, but our main thing is just covering our grounds first. And then we're going to take advantage probably third quarter of this year and, and release some new information. So are you seeking to build the brand nationally? Your end goal is to be multi-states at the same time? Multi-countries. Multi-countries, uh, right on. Yeah, yeah, we got a global vision. Definitely have a global vision. Um, Tell us about yeah. that. Uh, for us, obviously covering our own grounds, starting in Colorado, but America, but obviously taking it international, like cannabis is, is a hell of an opportunity and it's abroad. One thing about what what we saw with what we do is that it can it can go very international and very quickly. Yeah. Are those cannabis infused syrup? Yeah, definitely. We thought about the just the basic traditional food market, which is which is very open and obviously with what we do, we've looked at market research on, on syrups and there's definitely an opportunity. But for now we're just focused on um, building a strong cannabis brand. And once that's stabilized, we'll, we'll definitely look at trying to how, how we can commercialize that. What's your favorite thing about working in the industry? Oh, that's tough. Like I said, the transition has been so crazy. I love every part of it. Like um, like I said, I started out flipping a sign on the corner. So that was cool. I, I think about that. Um, even having to get the trash, going to pick up weed trash. A lot of people don't think about that, but it was a crazy job. So the customer service meeting has many people as I met to now owning, I would probably say my favorite thing is helping, like just being a vessel of the work and not treating people how at times on our come up, we were treated. Would you mind talking through how you obtained a license and, and then how you were able to develop product and sell it into stores? Yeah, definitely. And the crazy thing is, like, um, I'll start at the beginning, which is we we were initially, we had a partnership that didn't go the best. But from that partnership, uh, I was able to learn the licensing process. Um, and so when we moved into our new situation, we didn't get our license immediately because the, it was the formality of the industry. Does that make sense? So it didn't, we didn't know and the industry didn't really present us to get the, the license that we currently have. Um, but from there, we waited a year or so and then we ended up getting our own actual license. So, you know, we went from employee badges to owner badges. How do you take that step without having that experience? Or is it just like, here it is, this is our opportunity, let's go? That's crazy you asked because I wanted I wanted the owner's badge so bad when we started out to when we got it. it I don't know, like you wish for something and then once you get it, it's not as, it's like, oh, it was, it was a lot more simple. And once we discovered how to get our owner's badge, I was more let down because of the people we were choosing to follow in the and the information that we were given. Like, oh, you have to go through all these steps to get an owner's badge. You don't need it because you don't have all these qualifications to when we went to get our owner's badge. It was really about the money. Always, always <laughs> It's always about the money. 
once you kind of see behind the curtain, you're kind of like, oh, we, we get it. Definitely. Now probably my most serious question, uh, Joshua, which is uh, if you were a cannabis-infused gummy, what flavor would you be? Ooh, I would be, um, oh, man, that's tough. Man, <laughs> I'll be like a honey hot. <laughs> Something sweet and spicy. Yeah, man, because I can, you know. I'm, I'm sweet up front, but I can get a little uh, spicy, man. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, I just want to give you the opportunity uh, to close out. Is there anything you'd like people to know about you, your personal mission or message, uh, the brand, any announcements you'd like to uh, share with us about the brand? Any final thoughts before I start to close out the show? The brand is expanding, so please be on the lookout if you have any business suggestions or if you're in the industry we're always looking to connect with people in any shape or form whether that's through conversation or if it's through projects um you know we're open book josh thank you so much for for tonight um you know so much insight so much experience so much honesty and just the ability to share your perspective and and um you know there's so many different perspectives in our industry and so many people here are doing great things and they need that that spotlight on them so thanks for jumping in the spotlight tonight and uh sharing you know what you do and with us and uh we really appreciate that you can find more about Joshua Littlejohn and Highgrade at highgradebrands.com. You can also find um, Highgrade on Instagram at Highgrade Syrup. Again, a super big thank you to Joshua. Thank you. Thank you.